Hello, everybody. My guest today is Stephen Greenwood, the founder and CEO of Ballast Technologies, a company that creates incredible aquatic virtual reality experiences, which we'll get into a little bit deeper later. Stephen was formerly a creative director and technologist with over 18 years of experience producing, directing, and building teams that create incredible physical and digital experiences. He's led many multi-million dollar branded projects from concept to execution within companies ranging from startups to large corporations like Discovery, Reddit, and Vox Media. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Stephen, I'd love to start off and hear a little bit about you and your backstory and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Yeah. So I um, grew up in San Diego and um, early on became enamored with video production. That was kind of my thing in high school. I decided that I wanted to make videos, uh, to make surf movies in San Diego, and really got into editing on home computers with Final Cut and Adobe Premiere. Um, And that led me into a career path of media production. So I, I ended up studying documentary filmmaking at UCLA. And shortly after, um, went to go make some travel documentaries overseas and began working for AOL Travel back when AOL was kind of a, a media powerhouse and was creating a lot of their own content for their own websites. Um, a few years of doing that, and somebody who was working at AOL was leaving AOL to go and start Vox Media, who now is very um, you know famous for starting Vox.com. The Verge, Eater, uh, they, they have a network of websites. But when I, when I was there, they were just kind of starting out uh, under the banner of SB Nation, which was a, mainly a sports network of blogs. And at that time, The Verge was also launching. Um, and so I, I moved to New York and began a career as a producer there, kind of learning how to build new media teams and uh, video teams that were kind of redefining what it, what it meant to produce online video. Uh, and, and that was an incredible sort of work experience and education at the same time of, you know, learning how to build companies or, or, or teams within startup companies and uh, also kind of defining a new style for creative and um, visual work online. Um, and you know, through this, like I, I, I've always been about communicating experiences and sharing experiences with people. So that, that I think, you know, began to, to show itself at that time in my work where uh, I realized that uh, my passion was really capturing experiences and then being able to relay that to large audiences of people. Um, shortly after Vox Media, uh, I was able to move back to San Francisco and join Reddit where, again, we got to try to uh, create experiences for the community and then take information from the community and relay that back into media that was then shared with the community. Um, And so, uh, again, kind of uh, another uh, foray into an experimental form of of media where we're not only um, listening to the community and getting information from them, but creating experiences then back for that same community um, in ways that were very unique to Reddit. And then 
Right after that, I moved to the Discovery Channel where uh, they were building up their resources to experiment with virtual reality. And so that was my first introduction to working in virtual reality. Um, we had a wonderful team here in San Francisco that was really kind of pushing the boundaries on what it meant to create virtual reality video experiences. So things like documentary experiences and, and um, productions where you would actually send cameras to parts of the world and capture things live and, and uh, on recorded formats. Uh, but also, you know, computer generated experiences where we could simulate what it felt like to climb Mount Everest and be on the, the peak of Mount Everest. And in, in my role there, it was really wonderful to kind of take all of the knowledge that I had from working in traditional media and apply it to these new formats and really try to get creative with what we were able to do as far as pushing the limits of the sensations that you could have while you were in virtual reality. Uh, and so around that time, I you know, was thinking a lot about virtual reality and was also watching Stranger Things, the, the the very first season on Netflix. And there's an episode in season one where Eleven, one of the main characters, is put into a sensory deprivation tank. And she's wearing a, a helmet that's allowing her to breathe underwater. And it kind of looks like a space helmet, an astronaut helmet. And so I, I kind of had this spark of inspiration where I was thinking, well, wouldn't that be interesting, you know, to submerge yourself in water and to have visuals in a VR headset that made you feel like you were an astronaut. Um, and so in, in kind of that moment of inspiration, I quickly uh, was headed out the door to go meet a friend for dinner. And I was so excited by the time I got there, I, you know, I wanted to share this idea with this, with this very talented friend of mine. And he said, that's a brilliant idea. Let's, let's build it right away. <laughs> um, and so we, we kind of made the first prototype, you know, right uh, that very next day and immediately found that doing virtual reality in water is a very unique but also beneficial um, uh, experience because there's not a lot of motion sickness that people experience when they're in water. And so that was kind of the, one of the first realizations was that, you know, with virtual reality, that is a big problem that a lot of people seem to experience is that they can be very sensitive to motion sickness. And so by doing that in water, we're actually cutting out one of those main problems with virtual reality and starting to explore a whole host of other new possibilities uh, that that might enable. So um, I hope that was a short enough summary, but that's kind of how I got to where uh, I am today and what, what I'm doing today. Now, I love that. And it's also fascinating that a media was the inspiration behind your ballast in general. One, um, one question I have for you around your experience at Discovery, when you were filming, when people were filming virtual reality experiences, how do you do that from a camera perspective? I can imagine from a you know pure software CGI, but how does that actually work? So it's a very good question. I mean, we were still trying to actively figure that out at the time. What were the best methods of filming things in real life and obscuring the camera crew from, from view? And a lot of times what actually happens is that things are filmed in two different halves. So you'll film kind of the front half first, and then the crew will kind of clear the back half of the frame and move in the other direction and then film that, that back half. Or, you know, sometimes you just cannot get around it and there will be a camera person in frame. So uh, with a lot of underwater footage that was filmed, 
there is a diver with a, po- uh, a pole that is holding the camera and that just becomes part of the frame. Sometimes there are tricks to be able to mask that out and to, you know, obscure or, or use digital software to kind of um, mask that person out of the frame. But um, it was definitely something that we, you know, had to, to kind of figure out. And sometimes we would just put it, a camera down on a tripod and run away and then remotely trigger the camera so that there was nobody in the shot. Um, but there are, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, I think, methods and um yeah, it really depends on the situation um, and and what the director is most comfortable doing in, in those scenarios. Have you personally tried VR in a sensory deprivation chamber? Yes. So um, that is one thing that Ballast is working on. And we're doing some kind of initial trials of a, uh, a system that would be available to the public in sensory deprivation chambers. Um, personally, you know, I, I love sensory deprivation chambers for what they are, which is a chance to kind of escape everything and, and get away from all sorts of input. Uh, it's, a, it's a great chance to meditate and just kind of clear your head and relax. So I, I sort of prefer being in total darkness when I do these experiences, but I think it is a great tool to introduce people to sensory deprivation tanks that might not be comfortable in complete darkness and to give them sort of a meditation aid that can allow them to, to, to relax and to settle into a, a frequency of breathing and, and um, the state of, of kind of meditation and flow. Um, but yeah, uh, watch this space because we'll have more to announce on that, I think, in the next couple of months. Nice. I still have never tried a sensory depriva- deprivation chamber, but I've really wanted to. And this seems like a really good onboarding and also makes it more fun, you know, just more entertaining. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't recommend sensory deprivation chambers enough. Um, you know, one one thing that's really beneficial is that uh, when you're laying in it, it takes all of the pressure off your muscles and your your, your joints. Even when you're laying on your bed, um, you never really release all of the tension in your neck. And somehow, it, it, when you're laying in this Epsom salt solution, um, it really kind of takes all of that pressure off, and it puts you into a totally different state than you you normally would be in. So. Uh, you know, that that was one thing that when I started thinking about these experiences, it was very influential in realizing the power of floating in water and what effect that has on our body. And just, I think, you know, we're, we're still beginning to scratch the surface of what we're actually able to do to heal people and to put people into a different state. Because being in water is so powerful. It is so intrinsically linked in our DNA, uh, you know, for, for who we are as humans and, and in our evolutionary process, water plays a big role. And so, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting to, to be able to experiment with what we can do in water and, and using floating as a method to introduce people to new experiences. I guess on that point, the one thing that does not play well with water traditionally is hardware. So how are you getting around that? And how are you essentially making any of this waterproof? Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those right, pl- right place, right time things, right? So when, we, when I first had this idea and when we first started working on it, uh, a lot of the cell phones that were hitting the market were actually waterproof out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2016, I believe, you know, we started seeing cell phones that were IP68 rated uh, right out of the box, which means that they can go a few feet underwater and they're totally fine. Um, and so that is actually what we've built our our systems around is cell phones that are 
inherently waterproof. And then we add a, an extra layer of waterproofing around them. Uh, but everything is based off of, off of cell phones. And so we've engineered a lot of our software and the experiences that we do around that. Um, and it's, and it's been a core piece of success to our business because our headsets are modular in a way where we're able to swap out the, you know, the, the most expensive parts of that very easily. We didn't have to go down the path of building our own screens, our own accelerometers, right? Everything was baked into these cell phones that we based the design off of. And I think that um, as an early stage startup without any outside funding, that was kind of one of the smartest things that we could have done at that time was really take all of the best things that were, were already there and assemble systems together that intelligently use these existing pieces um, and, and, you know, use our own software to, to take the most advantage of those that we can and, and to allow them to work in the way that we need to um, without having to, to go down this long, long path of developing, you know, uh, the, the, the really tricky parts of hardware. That is very smart. I studied mechanical engineering, both undergrad and grad school, and hardware is tremendously painful and slow. So I think using whatever you can off the shelf, and to your point, the technology is already caught up to that point where you don't really need to reinvent the wheel, leverage that, and then build the secret sauce as a software component. And the experiential, I mean, that's really your background, right, is, is creating these experiences. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what those are today? What are kind of your first experiences you're creating? And then what is the long-term vision? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we started with this idea of, of a snorkeling mask and we, you know, didn't really know what the application was going to be right away. Um, we thought maybe this would have implications for military training. Maybe it would be a tool for underwater welders that work on oil rigs, you know, something in that industry. Um, and Right away, uh, somebody wrote an article about our prototype headset, and it kind of made the rounds on, on some of the VR communities. And somebody from a water park reached out to us and said, can we buy this, this technology? And we thought about that. And you know, I, I hadn't been to a water park, I think, since I was maybe 15 or 16 years old. Um, and it wasn't really in my sphere of consciousness, right? But uh, you know, we, we, we talked to this company and we said, okay, well, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look at this and we'll see how we can adapt this to be a commercial product for you. Um, that got us started down a path of then investigating the water park market and just kind of learning about it and figuring out who was who and what was what. And we ended up going to a convention in Singapore for theme parks. So there's all these roller coaster companies that sell roller coasters to parks. There's water slide manufacturers that sell water slides to parks. And we found ourselves there kind of wandering the floors of this trade show, showing off our concept imagery and saying, hey, is this interesting to you? You know, do you have any um, thoughts on, on how we can make this successful? And we ended up meeting a German company at that trade show that at the time had been attempting to put virtual reality on their water slides. And so they, you know, the idea was that you would ride down a real water slide wearing a virtual reality headset and using sensors and synchronization, you could actually follow the path of the slide and recreate that so that you're seeing a completely different world when you're going down. And, you know, they, they had worked on it for about six months and weren't able to get the tracking right and saw that we had this waterproof headset and say, well, would you guys be able to make this work? And we put together a proposal for them, and that was how we were able to start our company. You know, we I had spoken to investors and some VCs in the Bay Area, 
And nobody really understood what our business model was. And we didn't really understand that at the time. But we were lucky enough to find a first client that was willing to pay for this system to be built and, you know, in, in order to share the sales rights with us for the water slide experiences. So that's what we ended up building first was what we call VR slide, uh, a system that can be put onto any existing water slide and allow customers to go down and choose multiple options so that every time they're riding down the slide, they're, they're sliding through a different world. Um, and it's, you know, it's been an incredible success for us. We've had somewhere around half a million people that have done VR slide experiences out there in the world now. Uh, and for water parks, they're able to, to charge a little bit extra to have people go down with VR headsets. They can go down the normal side without VR for free, but they can charge a little, you know, a couple dollars extra for them to, to ride with VR headsets. And so it's, it's been an incredible source of revenue for these parks uh, because they traditionally aren't able to install a lot of new infrastructure in the parks, right? Creating a new water slide and running pipes to feed this water slide requires a lot of infrastructure changes and so this is something that they can actually install very easily, uh, very quickly, and, and begin generating a new, an entirely new stream of revenue right away. Um, so that, that's the first experience we've made. And then the second experience, after we finished that water slide experience, we, we sort of came back to the snorkeling idea. And with our knowledge of the water park industry at that time, kind of knew exactly what we had to get right to make that possible. Um, and the the second experience that we've made is is called diver and and that is where people snorkel in a shallow body of water uh they're tethered to a, uh, an anchor in the pool so that that means that while their vision is obscured by the vr headset they don't have to worry about running into the walls or running into other swimmers they can move around and, and they don't really notice that they're being held in place by an elastic band um, but it lets them do outer space experiences skydiving experiences, um, uh, snorkeling like uh, with whales and, and kind of fantasy pieces where you're going down to the lost city of Atlantis. Um, and that, that, this has been an incredible product for us as well in, in the same regards to creating new revenue streams for, for parks. But it's great because it is ready to go. It can be shipped without any crew installing the equipment. Uh, and, and literally fits into any swimming pool that you can imagine. So hotels, uh, resorts, water parks, any place that has a pool, um, you know, and, and has this square footage that is not currently being monetized, they can now buy this product and, and quickly monetize this space. I would have loved that product when uh, you have to be 12 years old in the U.S. to get scuba certified. And all I wanted for my 12th birthday was to get scuba certified. And I grew up in Chicago and I convinced my dad to do it with me. And so that's what I did for my 12th birthday. But in Chicago, trying to get certified, especially in the winter, you're doing everything in a pool and it is so painfully boring. So that would have made it a lot more of a, a pleasant and fun experience. That's that's exactly what we're hearing too. And it's, it's a great way to get young kids excited about the ocean that that don't necessarily have access to the ocean and kind of you know get them prepared for what they what they might see once they get scuba certified so it it is a great introduction and um an incredible stepping stone to you know to getting people comfortable in the water um and i think that's one of the things that's been really remarkable to see firsthand is just how many people have never actually used a snorkel in their lives 
Um, and, and in some cases, you know, I've been with people in the water and they've never put their head underwater before. Yes. Uh, and that has been one of the most rewarding feelings for me is, is getting to hold people's hands in the water while they are confronting a fear and confronting a new sensation that they've never experienced before in their life and getting a sense of what it feels like to swim alongside whales and, and to go through shipwrecks and, and things like that. It's, it is really magical and it's um, incredible to actually get to see that firsthand and, and see the emotion in people's eyes when they, when they come out of the experience. And you have the benefit of not even needing a haptic feedback suit to get that immersive feeling because you're actually in water already. On the, um, exactly. the, the VR slide experience, how does it actually work from the water park perspective? Meaning when I come to the water park and pay my fee for the day, can I pay extra and just get a VR headset that I carry with me the whole time? Or is it attached to a single ride and then cleaned after each use? Like, how does it actually work? Yeah. So it, it, uh, at the moment, the way that we have them set up is that uh, there is one designated slide that has VR active for it. Um, so it's not necessarily a headset that you would carry around the whole day. It's 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 tied to that single slide, and the headsets are typically handled by operators at the bottom and at the top of the slide. Um, in in one instance, you know, we have a park that has a conveyor belt specifically for the VR headsets that brings them back up to the top. They're sanitized on the conveyor belt with spray systems. Uh, of course, this place is in Germany. They have all of the the technology figured out there. Um, uh, but yeah, in most cases, you know, they're sanitized at the bottom and then carried back up to the top and then individually given to guests that have chosen to pay for that ride. Um, and we're now experimenting with with uh, packages and, and with parks that are interested in having multiple slides with virtual reality on them so that when you come into the park, you can get a wristband that allows you to do all of the virtual reality experiences in the park. But again, individually, you know, kind of in their own locations and, and not necessarily uh, having to carry around your own headset. Because I think that's where maybe some of the, the the liability and the problems come in is when you actually hand the hardware to people, then, um, you know, you, I think you run a bigger risk of, of losing the hardware. Theft. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> so that, that makes a lot more sense to have it very tightly controlled by the parks themselves or the pools or whoever is using it. On the mm -hmm. content creation side, are you making your own content? And is this something where I'd love to actually hear a little bit what goes into the thought process from beginning to end of creating the content for this? Yeah. Um, so we do have our own in-house content team, a uh, very talented uh, team that are Unity experts. So Unity really is what makes what we do possible. Um, and in, you know, in the past, as we've grown the company, we've, we've done a combination of, of doing things on our own and then partnering with third-party studios to help us make certain content pieces. But we're kind of focusing now more on doing everything in-house because we really understand these mediums and the sensations that you get in these mediums very well. And I think it's really hard to communicate to outside teams unless they've actually physically done these experiences themselves. Um, just in terms of con uh, concept to execution, um, the VR slide is interesting because every single piece that is made for each slide has to be tailor-made for that slide. Uh, so we can take themes that we've done for different slides and reconfigure them to match that slide path. But each one really has to be kind of thought through from beginning to end to really enhance the moments where you're turning around a corner and a, and a dragon is revealed. or you know, you, you take a sharp drop and you narrowly miss 
uh, a collapsing building or something like that. Um, and so that is what's interesting is that every time we get a VR slide project, we kind of have to analyze the path, see what the path involves, and then reconfigure the world around that. For Diver, um, it's a much different sensation. And because of the motion sickness advantage in water, every video is pre-rendered. So everybody takes the exact same journey. They don't actually control their path or, or where they're heading at the moment. Um, and we're able to kind of guide them on this journey. And so we've what we've done is, is we've kind of experimented with different themes, like I mentioned, skydiving. Um, that was something we were just curious, will this work? And so we, we created a wingsuit piece where you're gliding along the cliffs of something that looks like it could be in China, like in the, in the mountains of China, um, and, and going over steep drops and, you know, really taking advantage of the fact that people don't get that motion sickness feeling by um, dropping them very quickly or, you know, uh, moving very close to objects that would no- at a very high rate of speed that would normally make you feel sick. Um, so we've been doing these kind of big experiments. And as we do each type of, of piece of content for that, we're learning new things and starting to to apply them in a way um, that, you know, really takes advantage of that medium of water. The latest example is uh, a meditation piece that we were now finishing up this week. And it's a 20-minute piece where you're floating through a sea of jellyfish and bioluminescent creatures. And each one is pulsing with the way that you're supposed to hold your breath. And this was our experiment to see how we can affect people's breathing through a snorkel while they're face down in the water. And if we can kind of encourage people to reach uh, a flow state while they're sort of in this weightless environment. Um, and, and we're going to be doing the first trials of this. If you would like to go for a swim and, and help us get some data, um, Sign that would me be up. a lot of fun, but but yeah, we're we're excited to see what people's reactions are, and you know, I I think that this is kind of our first foray into sort of a mindfulness experience, um, and I'm really excited to see what we can do with this, and 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 where we can place this sort of more high level experience at some boutique hotels and kind of these these higher end resorts that may not be so entertainment focused, but but are certainly wellness focused uh, places. It's been really fascinating for me to to watch people's experiences with VR and how visceral it is and how strong a reaction people have. My sisters and I, maybe two years ago, took my parents to a VRcade. They had never tried it before, never put on a headset. And we had my mom try the walk the plank where they take you to the top. You go in an elevator, they take you to the top of a building and they open up and there's just a plank and you have to walk on it. And she couldn't do it. I mean, literally almost started crying, had to take the headset off. And my dad was playing a shooting game. And there was in in the virtual world, there were a bunch of sandbags you're supposed to crouch behind. So he gets down with his gun and he's crouching behind these sandbags. And he put his arm on one and fell over because it wasn't there. (laughs) And it was just, you know, it's, it's hilarious, but it's getting good enough where you truly can transport people into a totally different place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our belief is that especially when you're, when you're taking yourself out of your daily environment and you're putting yourself into an environment like water, it, it just makes you forget that much quicker where you are, you know, what your, where, where your brain is and, and what you're looking at. Um, and it's, it's truly unique and, and something that I'm really grateful to be experimenting in because I think we're kind of pushing the boundaries of, of really what can be possible with virtual reality. 
And I'm sure this is your least favorite topic, but I'm imagining that COVID has really had to force you to pivot a little bit, or at least just kind of rethink some of the the areas of the business. Have there been any interesting learnings from this time that have you know kind of helped evolve the business? Um, certainly, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in a very lucky position, um, and it, I, I can't credit that to myself or, or by any you know method of planning or anything like that. We we just got very lucky. Um, we're in the location-based entertainment business. And a lot of companies that are in LBE, uh, they have staff that are out there operating these locations. They have leases on buildings. And we, we, we don't have any of that, luckily. You know, we, we have our systems in a lot of locations that are run by park staff. And, and um, they, in essence, we don't have a lot of overhead for, for our business. And it's been a good chance for us to kind of hunker down spend time on content development, um, spend time on support mechanisms for our growing list of customers around the world, uh, spend time on, on how we're marketing ourselves and communicating our value proposition to the water park industry. Um, and so it, it's been a very valuable chance for us to kind of regroup and take a break and um, center ourselves as a company. Because previously, you know, we've existed for three years now um, previously, we were sprinting to grow as fast as we could and go around the world. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in 15 countries. And, and as a three-year-old business like that has been a, a really amazing learning curve. Um, so uh, COVID, you know, and initially, it forced us to rethink how sanitization was happening and, and how some of the operational procedures were being communicated to parks. But at the end of the day, those decisions are in those operators' hands. And so we can make recommendations and, and suggestions, but um, they're, they're kind of beheld to what the local regulations are and what the state regulations are and, um, you know, in, in how they have to operate. Um, and so we, you know, the, I guess the benefit for us in, in that is that all of our gear is waterproof. And so it's been very easy to dunk it in a sanitization solution or, you know, a solution of chlorine that kills the virus and, and actually makes it very easy to, to sanitize our equipment. So, um, you know, I, I think in terms of, of running a, a new business and having something this momentous happen during that time, um, it's definitely been intimidating and scary, but I feel very lucky that, that we've been in a pretty good position and have not had it as hard as a lot of companies have out there. Um, and, you know, on top of that, the water park industry is very resilient. Um, we've got a graph that we we have from our internal software that shows the activity, and there is definitely a, a, a it zeroes out completely. There's no activity from March until June, but in June, a lot of the European water parks started reopening. Um, a few American parks started reopening, and and the activity that we saw went right back up to where it was pre-COVID. And I think that it, it is a testament to the water park industry and how they've been able to reopen very quickly and responsibly. And also the, the clientele that goes to water parks, it, it, you know, they're families that are um, looking to get out of the house and looking to have fun and uh, not necessarily um, very uh, afraid of, of, of the consequences of the virus. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it, it has been reaffirming to see that reopening process. I guess the other interesting thing to note is that um, just from what we know about the industry, there are a lot of parks that, uh, you know, they're, they're only down about 40% of their revenue from the, the, the previous year. 
Um, and so water parks, I think, in general, are, are faring pretty well. And, and that's one encouraging sign from the industry. That's interesting. And I can imagine, you know, people by summertime were really looking for this to be over. And so they were looking for diversions. At least it's outdoors to your point of being able to sanitize and use chlorine and things like that. You know, one thing that was interesting that you just mentioned, you know, a three-year-old company operating in 15 countries is very, you know, abnormal. Were there any countries that you found that were much more interested and amenable to VR that were maybe not expected? Yeah, I mean, our our start was in Europe. So we we found that partnership with a German company. And in Germany, in particular, the appetite for VR was was way uh, bigger than it was here in the United States. I think here in the United States, you know, consumer VR is still kind of trickling out and and making its way into people's homes. Um, I think Oculus and and Facebook have done a great job of creating incredible hardware and, and content libraries that are now at the point where it has a good shot of becoming mainstream. Um, but I was really surprised at, at how uh, large the appetite was for VR applications in Europe in general and, and specifically in Germany. Um, they definitely seemed like they were a little bit ahead of the curve uh, further along than, than we are here. And the value proposition for what we were making was much much more obvious to them. Um, it's been a it's been a lot harder to educate people here in the United States on why this makes sense for guests and and why people want this. Um, yeah, so it's uh, I, I'm very thankful that we had that start in Germany. We we actually lived at a water park for six months when we started the company <laughs> while we built the VR slide system because that was the only way that we could figure out all of the the kinks and the problems and and the operational workflows was by living at a water park and having direct access to a water slide at all hours of the day. That Uh, sounds really fun, but I could also see that getting old pretty quickly. Absolutely. I mean, living in a hotel has, you know, has a a shelf life, I think. But um, if there is one thing, it's a wonderful experience. If there was one thing you could, you know, snap your fingers tomorrow and change about the virtual reality industry as a whole, is there anything that's a huge pain point, whether it's, you know, the size and shape of the headgear, the, you know, cost of creating the content, what what would you want to change? Mm. Um, content creation definitely, um, I think, uh, is, is one of the hardest parts. It is one of the most underappreciated parts of our system when we're selling the product. So that that is the biggest battle that we're up against in the water park industry is that water parks are used to paying for hardware. They are used to buying water slides and physical pieces of hardware that have value and, and that can easily, you know, you point to a water slide, you say, this costs $500,000 and they get it. They're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then you, you know, as a business person, I'm trying to communicate the value of the headsets, but also the software and the content that we've created for those headsets. And that just doesn't carry across quite as much, right? Um, so I think that's what I would change is just kind of the perception of how difficult it is to create everything that's going on behind the scenes when you do put on a VR headset. Uh, there is, a lot that goes into making VR experiences convincing and making, you know, designing things so that they happen in 360 all around you and not just in one direction. 
and and also making them come to life and and have a story behind them and, and have something that you're emotionally invested in. Um, it is very very, it, it's an art and it's an evolving art that we're still learning how to perfect. Uh, and so for the content creators out there, you know, my background is in content creation, so maybe I have a soft spot, but that is. Um, I, I salute the content creators because I know that it's a hard job and uh, hopefully, you know, with better tools that are coming out there like Unity and, and some of the libraries that are inside of Unity, that process is is definitely becoming more accessible to more people. But, you know, I, I hope that we can see even bigger advancements in that sector in the next five years. I always just have such a high level of respect for content creators because it's so far out of my wheelhouse. I can barely take a picture on my iPhone. So, you know, when I, when I think about what goes into creating an experience like what you guys are building, it's just mind-blowing. It's very cool. The last question I, I like to ask, mostly for selfish reasons, is do you have a piece of advice that you've been given in your career or your life that really sticks with you and are words you live by? Mm. Um you know, I, I think that one of the most important things that somebody can do, uh, you know, whether they're learning, to, looking to start a business or even just improve in their career is to find a mentor. Um, I was very, very lucky at the beginning of this process to, to, to find my mentor in the very first person that I told about my idea and the person that helped me create that headset, that, that initial headset. And, and he's become my mentor and advisor as I've built this company. And, and, and finding somebody that you really connect with on not only a friendly level, but, you know, a professional level, I think is one of the most valuable things that you can do. Uh, and it, it is very underrated, I think, for a majority of people uh, to, to be able to have that resource and, and somebody that they can turn to for solid advice uh, on, on big decisions. Um, I wish that there was a better service out there for mentorship. I, I just noticed recently that Facebook actually has a section where you can try to navigate and find mentors or, or people that have listed themselves as being available for to, to, to be a mentor. Um, and it seems like it's a very like sort of hidden and developing part of the website, but it's something that I would love to see grow because I, I do believe that that is uh, a very key thing that a lot of people may not necessarily get to, to have the advantage of, of having in their life. Um, and I think, you know, it comes in many forms, but, uh, having somebody that is strictly kind of there for, for professional advice is, is very valuable. And I would encourage people to, to seek that out in their lives. I absolutely agree with that. I'm not sure Facebook is the right platform for that, but I, <laughs> I, I agree. I wish somebody would build that out. That's one of my favorite parts about the Bay Area is there's a very strong pay it forward culture. I think everyone here realizes, because most of us are not did not grow up here. We realize that you know we got to where we are by other people pulling us up and taking bets on us and helping us along the way. And I feel like people are very good at then paying it back. So I, I like, I like being a part of that ecosystem. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and for anybody out there listening that is maybe, you know, thinking, Hey, this, this applies to me and I, I might be looking for somebody reach out. Um, you know, I'm SP Greenwood on Twitter. Uh, I would love to either, you know, help you find a mentor or maybe connect you with somebody that, that knows of one. Um, so yeah, if anybody's looking for a start to that conversation, then I, I'd be happy to help. Well, that is fantastic. And people should definitely take you up on that. This has been <laughs> such an amazing conversation. Please definitely sign me up for any betas or any user testing you need. I'm very happy to do that. And um, if there's a place that you want to send people, uh, listeners to learn more about Ballast, where should they go? 
Yeah, our website is ballastvr.com. So ballastvirtualreality.com. Um, and we have social accounts uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. I think actually Instagram is probably the most entertaining place to tune into what we do because we love sharing different clips of the ocean and um, you know beautiful scenes from from uh, about sea life. So look us up on Instagram as well. It's just ballast.vr. Awesome. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Elaine.